Hello and welcome into BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex Root of BTN.com. We are back for the 2018 football season with the football focus editions of the Take 10 Podcast. And for those of you who did not listen during the 2017 football season, football focus is what we call the episodes that we do every week with generally national writers, college football writers to break down not only the Big Ten Conference, but what went on on the national stage as well throughout college football. So did it last year, had a great time, and um, you know, really talked to some prominent writers, media members, TV figures, and all that, and um, wanted to bring it back for this year and keep pace with all the happenings in college football as we move along throughout the season here. And we're starting here after week one, obviously. Week one's in the books, and we'll try to do one every week throughout the college football season. So kick us off here we brought on cbs sports national college football writer tom fornelli had tom on the podcast uh under a year ago but definitely had him on last football season so it's great to get him back on uh, one of my favorite twitter follows at tom fornelli he uh always brings the heat with uh you know some of his takes his gifs his memes and uh he's just a fun guy to follow so we get tom on for about a half an hour to talk all the happenings of week one and look ahead to week two, both in the Big Ten and on the national stage. And then we also brought in Harold Shelton, who's a BTN's in-house researcher, for another recurring segment that we did last year called the Stathead segment. And Harold and I, each week, get inside the numbers and really break down what happened and, and what's to come within the Big Ten conference. So great to have Harold back in the studio as well. And um, that's pretty much the setup going forward as we get into the 2018 season. We'll have a national writer and we'll get Harold on and we'll do it as often as we can and it should be a lot of fun especially plenty to talk about from uh interesting week one to say the least in Big Ten football and on the national stage so get right into those interviews in just a second we'll start with Tom first just want to get a couple of reminders out there want to let everyone know where they can find the Take 10 podcast if they've not subscribed already you can get it on Podbean Google Play and Apple Podcasts or iTunes and we're also on YouTube as well. So if you know, you're a visual person, you scroll YouTube and you know you look, subscribe to our Big Ten Network YouTube channel, which I highly recommend. You can also find the Take Ten podcast on YouTube as well and subscribe there. So definitely subscribe if you haven't already. If you haven't left a comment or review, please do that as well. Really appreciate it. All right, so like I said at the top, we'll start things off with Tom Fornelli of CBSSports.com, national college football writer who uh, knows his stuff. He's been uh on the best podcast in the game pardon my take where he's dropped some knowledge and brought him on here to do the same so without further ado we'll get right into it it's take 10's discussion with tom fornelli very excited to be joined once again on the take 10 podcast by a now recurring guest and this is definitely the most high profile and successful sports podcast he's ever appeared on national college football writer tom fornelli of cbssports.com tom welcome back doing great how are you i i'm good getting ready for uh, another weekend of football here you know it's it's one of those strange situations where you wait all off season and then you just get hammered over the head with football every day for about two weeks but you don't mind it yeah i was gonna ask since this is the first uh football episode we're doing in the 2018 season i'm curious what did you do during your college football off season how was your summer uh hot <laughs> it was it was really really hot, hotter than I hoped for. Mostly, I just kind of 
did as much of nothing as I possibly could because, I mean, once the season starts through mid-January, I'm pretty much working 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So when there isn't any football for me to cover, I'm trying to do as little as possible as often as possible. You're an inspiration, Tom. Um, since we are back, we've got already a week of Big Ten football under our belts, and I'm going to bring back a segment that I did with my guests last year called Initial Impressions. It's just kind of a kind of a zoomed out view of what you saw over the weekend, and we'll start in the Big Ten. So after watching Big Ten football on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday last week, give me some initial impressions. What jumped out at you uh, overall within the conference? Uh, I mean, nothing. I don't think there was anything too drastic of a problem. I, I, I think that there's been some overreaction to Michigan's loss to Notre Dame. I I, th- I don't think Shea Patterson played wonderful, but I think a lot of that had to do with the offensive line, which was my biggest question mark about Michigan coming into the season but I don't want to sit and say that oh the offensive line is bad because that was a pretty good Notre Dame defense they were playing up against and you know starting your season on the road at Notre Dame in primetime and losing by seven not the worst way to start your year it's just I understand why there's some concerns with the way the offense played overall but I still think Michigan's going to be pretty good another team that kind of concerned me a little bit was Michigan State in that Utah State game. I don't I, I don't mind that it was close and that Utah State scored 31 points. It's just when I was watching Michigan State, I feel like, again, this has been a problem for the Spartans for the last few years. The offensive line did not look great. The defensive line didn't look very good either, which was kind of not something I expected from the defense because it looked good last year, and it was a very young team, and I thought you know it would take a step forward up there. But it looked kind of average. But, of course, when it comes to the first game of the season, you don't want to take too much out of it. But I think that could be a concern. Elsewhere, I mean, Penn State got scared at home. <laughs> I think that's just a situation where Ricky Roddy's first game as a play caller, first game without Saquon Barkley, and a defense that has, I think, four returning starters playing it. It's, you know, with a lot of new faces out there playing in their first game, or starters anyway. So a good Appalachian State team gave them trouble, but I'm not concerned about Penn State going forward, really. And then elsewhere, there was nothing really. The, the one thing I guess I could still point out was Ohio State's defense. They scored 77 points, and they won by 46, which is fine. But they gave up 31 to an Oregon State team that I don't think is going to be very good. It's not just the points. So they gave up a lot of big plays to that Oregon State play. I think they had seven plays of greater than 20 yards against Ohio, that Ohio State defense. And that's just not something I was expecting to see from what I expect to be one of the best defenses in the Big Ten. So that's something I might want to keep an eye on going forward for Ohio State if they can limit those explosive plays because they have so much talent on that unit. Yeah, I mean, I think that we definitely raised some questions, minor questions uh, about some Big Ten East teams that were expected to contend for titles and, and maybe college football playoff bursts. But like you said, the good thing, if you know, you're know you Penn State or Michigan State, you escape your scare with a win. If you're glass half full looking at Michigan, which sounds like you sort of are, you know, there's an entire rest of the season to rebound and, and get it figured out. So how about on a national level from what you saw Week one outside of the Big Ten, what were some initial impressions you had? Florida State still can't block to save its life <laughs> for the offensive line. It's just, it is not good. I was getting so frustrated watching, you know, them in their running game. They were running east and west every single time. The, the run never, the first step was never a step forward. It was always a step to the left or the right. And I guess when you can't block, that's kind of something you have to do. But it just, it wasn't working. So I think that Florida State's problems last year may have been a lot more than just DeAndre Francois. Uh, elsewhere, LSU, I feel like 
it looked great for the first 20 minutes of that game against Miami. and But I think a lot of that was from its defense. And the offense, aside from the 150-yard run from Bennett, I didn't think LSU's offense looked much improved at all. I think Joe Burrow just kind of you know looked like a kid making his first career start and did not play that well. So I'm not really bought in on LSU yet. Miami looked really bad in that game on the other side. I'm, I do have some legitimate concerns about them going forward because just Malik Rozier, I was hoping that as a senior he might be a little you know more mature and smarter with his decisions. But I, I know it was a really tough defense he was going against, but he was making a lot of dumb throws. And elsewhere, I think... Auburn Washington was clearly the biggest game of the weekend. Auburn looks really good. That Washington defense is outstanding, and Auburn did a pretty good job of it. But then on the other side, Washington, I feel like, you know, I can't remember the total of it, but I think Washington outgained Auburn by like over a yard per play during the game. And for Washington to fly from Seattle to Atlanta to play at a quote unquote neutral site against Auburn without their starting left tackle. I mean, that's an. I think that's the second best defensive line in the country. Clemson is the only one that has a better unit, and I think that without your starting left tackle, yes, they, Jake Browning was under pressure a lot, but he, that was going to be expected against Auburn. I think overall Washington performed well, and I feel like even in that loss, I'm more confident in Washington going forward for the rest of the season after watching the way they lost against Auburn than I was before the game. And then I think the most impressive performance from anybody across the country this weekend had to be Oklahoma because Florida Atlantic, I mean, there's a huge gap between being the best team in Conference USA and, you know, being one of the best teams in the country. So I'm not, I wasn't shocked that Oklahoma won that game with ease, but I mean, they just completely blew the doors off that team and they were they were hitting full stride from the very first snap and they just looked fantastic the entire 60 minutes and there were some questions about replacing baker mayfield and going to kyler murray and the change in the offense the way they'd have to do things didn't look like there was much of an adjustment process they look like they're ready to go already and i feel like that's a team that based on what i saw in that game i think oklahoma is very much a playoff contender again this year all right, a lot of good stuff on the national scale tom i want to get a little deeper into the near upsets in the big 10 um with like we said earlier, Utah State pushing Michigan State to the brink, uh, 38-31 in that game, and Appalachian State nearly pulling off the deja vu upset 11 years to the day after their Big Ten Network christening win over Michigan. Uh, they lost an OT 45-38. to So was there anything that you saw from, from either game, really, that you would extrapolate and have, have reason to believe that the struggles might carry over to Week 2? Because now both teams go on the road into hostile environments. Michigan State goes out for a... Late night date with Herm Edwards in Arizona State, which, you know, going out west for the late night game has never ended poorly for anyone. And uh, Penn State goes to, to Pitt which, with a uh, big in-state rivalry matchup there. So do you think either team is uh, likely to stumble on the road in, in what's far from an easy matchup for both teams? Well, I have some concerns about Michigan State this weekend because, as I alluded to earlier, you know the offensive line struggled against Utah State, and that Utah State defense isn't exactly renowned for being one of the best in the country, but they were very aggressive in blitzing, and I felt like, particularly the left side of that Michigan State offensive line, there, there were blitzers and oncoming rushers coming through pretty easily on that side. And now Michigan State, like you said, they're hitting the road to go to, 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 go to Tempe to play Arizona State on Saturday night. And this is an Arizona State team that I think had nine and a half sacks last week. Yes, it was against UTSA, but still, that was a defense. And out of those nine and a half sacks, there's eight different players who got a sack in that game. So clearly Arizona State's showing some signs of a pass rush. And I worry about that for Michigan State if they're going to be able to block and give the work time. And then also in the run game, 
I mean, one of these things I felt for a while, it just kind of drove the point home when I was watching that Utah State game, is L.J. Scott is a very good running back as far as when you want, like, a battering ram. He's a guy who can just, you know, smack into that line and wear a defense down. But if he's not getting blocking, I don't feel like he's the kind of running back that can create his own plays and, you know, get find his, you know, get through without a hole and pick up big yards. And I saw they had Connor Hayward, who they only gave five carries to, but he had 42 yards, two touchdowns. He averaged over eight yards a carry. He looks like a guy that if I'm Michigan State and my offensive line continues to block as poorly as it did against Utah State, I think Hayward is a guy that's going to have to start getting more carries because I think he could be more creative on his own, whereas LJ Scott depends on the running and on his blocking. And then as far as Penn State's concerned, I'm, I'm not really that. I think that on defense, they've got to tighten up, and I think they will because, I mean, as far as talent level goes, they've got plenty of talent. They just don't have a ton of experience on that side of the ball, and it showed against a good App State team. But Trace McSorley, I think, is going to be fine. Miles Sanders, you know, looked – he had 91 yards. He had two touchdowns. He's going to be fine. That offense, I have complete faith in. They'll be okay. And they are going on a road against Pitt, which is, like you said, an in-state rival, a tough defense. Pat Narduzzi, you know, spent plenty of time with the Big Ten – he knows what to expect from Penn State, and I feel like you know that's a big game for Pitt. But I also feel like, in a way, had Penn State blown out Appalachian State last week, I'd be far more worried about it this week against Pitt than I would after Penn State having that close call. I feel like this could be a good thing if James Franklin, you're not really happy with the performance, but you're kind of happy with it because you know that you're going to have your team's full attention in practice this week because they know that, hey, we nearly got, you know, we nearly lost to Appalachian State at home. We nearly became Michigan too. And they, they're going to go into this game against Pitt and Arrival. And they're going to be 100% focused. So I'm actually expecting Penn State to do pretty well against the Panthers this week. Since it's kind of topical here, I'm curious – to get your thoughts on the whole Herm Edwards experiment at Arizona State. Like, do you think this is going to work out? Because I know it was met with much uh, kind of, <laughs> you know, some chuckles when it, when it was announced and kind of the, the the way he handled it at the presser and all that. I just want to know your thoughts on uh, the Herm Edwards experience. I have, I have no idea. I, I have felt since they hired him that it's either going to be a complete total failure or it's going to be magical i feel like there's absolutely no in between because i love herb edwards the person i have some doubts about him as a coach because even when he was in the nfl it's not like he was racking up you know 10 win season after 10 win season in the nfl he was he had a pretty average record as an nfl head coach now he's going to arizona state which is a pac-12 program but it's not exactly a blue blood program and it's not a program that's got you know a long lineage of success behind it so I don't know what he's going to be able to do to maybe get Arizona State to the level that they're hoping he can bring them to. I just know that I'm really, really interested in watching it. And like I said, and if that defense plays like it did last week against Michigan State, I think this is a team that could be pretty competitive in the Pac-12 South this year. So it, it's going to be interesting to watch. All right, so back to Ohio State for a moment. I know you mentioned the, the defense was a little eyebrow-raising for you, but how about their offense? Are, are they – going to be better than last year do you think with Dwayne Haskins under center as opposed to JT Barrett because I don't think he really could have had a much better of a debut five TDs to to one pick at a uh, great completion percentage and Mike Weber looked really good too and we know what J.K. Dobbins is made of so what are your thoughts on that Ohio State offense as we move along here Oh, I, th- I think it's going to be much better with Dwayne Haskins, and it's not a knock on JT Barrett because JT Barrett, what he did, there was you know, he's a four-year starter. He was the captain. He was doing that for a reason. It's just 
what Barrett's shortcomings were was his ability to throw downfield accurately, and that really limited what Ohio State could do on offense. We hadn't seen the last few years that Ohio State with the ability to stretch the ball downfield. Now, Dwayne Haskins is nowhere near as, you know, he's not a runner like Barrett was, and you're not going to see nearly as many QB draws with Haskins back there as you did with Barrett. But what he can do is he has a very strong arm, and he's accurate down the field, and he's going to stretch the field. He kind of reminds me of when Cardale Jones took over that first year when Barrett got hurt and Ohio State went on to win the national title, where Cardale's just throwing 60-yard bombs, hitting a dime, you know, all the way downfield. Ohio State's just running. The receivers are running past everybody, and they're scoring easy. I think that's going to be a similar situation with Haskins because he just brings that element to the offense that they have not had the last few years. And even though he's not the runner that Barrett was, it's not like Ohio State is short on running backs. They're still going to be able to run the football just fine. It's just now they're much more explosive as a passing defense, which is going to cause other teams to have to cover more of the field, which is going to open things up for guys like J.K. Dobbins and the rest in the run game. So I feel like this is a much more complete Ohio State offense than the Buckeyes have had the last few years. And I don't think they're going to score 77 points a week, but I think they're going to be in that 40-point range most weeks. Yeah, I think their offense is going to put up some stupid numbers this year. Um, and for me, I just watching all the Big Ten games, I think the best story to come out of the East and then the Big Ten really overall was Maryland, just with the, the players – themselves because with everything they've gone through with the loss of their teammate Jordan McNair you saw their you know real genuine emotion if they had knocked off a top 25 Texas team for the second consecutive year in the season opener um and apparently freshman Jashawn Jones is the best football player of all time in that team because he had three touchdowns on his first three touches one by air one by land and I think the third was a touchdown reception so I'm, yeah. I couldn't confirm it but I'm pretty sure no player has ever done that like it's got to be impossible right I'm pretty sure I saw a stat that he's the first player in history to score a touchdown in those three ways in his first game now. So what's and what's the deal with I, Texas not being able to, you know, even open the season and handle Maryland two years in a row? You know, they're everyone every year is Texas back, it's Texas back, it's always what they say. Texas is most certainly not back. Why could they not beat Maryland for the second consecutive year? Well, you know, I think it's a perception issue more than anything because honestly, if we if we put aside all the off-field stuff going on at Maryland right now, if you look at that roster, you can make an argument that it's the fourth most talented team in the Big Ten. It's behind Michigan, behind Ohio State, and behind Penn State. But as far as recruiting is concerned, I mean, I know 247 Sports has their recruiting rankings, and they have these things where they do talent rankings based on players that are left on the roster. Maryland is the fourth most talented team on the in the Big Ten, according to their rankings. And I feel like last year, we saw that early. It's just then, you know, they started dealing with so many injuries at quarterback that it kind of derailed everything. And I think going into this year, they're still a very talented team so I don't think I don't view Maryland beating Texas last year or this year as a major upset I just think that Texas being Texas gets a little you know gets a little too much love in the preseason it gets ranked when it probably shouldn't be we should probably I know this is strange but I think at this point we should make Texas prove it before we just put the number next to him I think we should make them see him win a game I, maybe we'll learn that finally but I, I think that as far as talent levels concerned, Texas and Maryland really aren't all that different. I think they're both extremely talented teams. And I'm, I, I don't, I don't look at it as a major upset. I think at Texas, as far as the problems there, I, I don't know honestly. I thought when they hired Tom Herman that they would be able to that it was the move that they finally had to make that it would finally fix things because I have felt that recruiting has never been the problem at Texas. It's just toward the end of Mac Brown's tenure 
the coaching kind of slipped and then Charlie Strong came in and I feel like they were still getting the talent, but they weren't developing that talent. And I thought Tom Herman would develop the talent that apparently they haven't gotten quite there yet. And I've got some questions about their offensive play calling. I'm wondering if maybe this Tom Herman might want to reconsider taking over the reins as far as that's concerned. Maybe that will help. But I just, I, I'm not sure what to make of Texas at this point. I, I'm Like I said, I'm waiting to see if they could beat somebody before I finally decide what to make of them. Yeah. And to your point, I mean, I think the QB injury situation kind of masked it last year, but Maryland has some guys, and I think they could be a, a really good story this year, especially if the, the quarterbacks stay healthy. Because I got some skill players, and you know, you got a guy like Deshaun Jones who was taunting uh, an opponent as he pranced into the end zone, and, and one of the first plays of his career. I love that kind of swagger, and I think you know they're, they're kind of coming <laughs> yeah, together as a team. So moving on, you know, we talked a lot about the East. Uh, I don't think there was as much to discuss in the Big Ten West from this past week. Wisconsin and Iowa, you know, look good overall. I think one in a fashion that is really true to their style of play, just smothering some inferior opponents and, and moving along with their day. Jonathan Taylor got off to a good start. Um, I think Nebraska heading into the weekend was probably the most intriguing story, and they got washed out. And that's, you know, that's so fitting, right? The the, the level of hype is probably the highest in Lincoln, Nebraska, anywhere in the country. And then just like a monsoon hits right after the opening kickoff. And, Tom, they didn't even get to release the, the balloons in Nebraska. It's really sad. Yeah, it stinks for Nebraska from that point where, you know, you're really excited to see Scott Frost's debut, but it also stinks in that if I'm a Nebraska if I'm Nebraska, I kinda wanted that tune up game before I have to play Colorado this week. Yeah, you know definitely. what I mean? And it's so it's like I, I would expect that they would have had a pretty easy time with Akron and gotten into a groove and now you're going in to play a tough Colorado team who looked fantastic in its opener last week. And now you know, you're you don't have you don't have any, you know, game reps under your belt just yet. So you're kinda of starting fresh while Colorado's already, you know, figured out what they're gonna do. So I think that's gonna be interesting because I feel like if Nebraska had played last week, I, they'd had a much better shot of winning this week. And now I feel like the game's in question. I still think Nebraska can beat Colorado. It's just I don't I don't I don't feel as good about it since it's their first game of the year at this point. So they're looking at a situation where instead of being two and zero, they might be zero and one, which is not a great place to be in right at two weeks into the season. So that's going to be interesting to watch. And as far as Wisconsin and Iowa, yeah, if if you watched those games, Iowa and what they both pretty much stuck to the most basic script that they had because they kind of both I think they especially when when Iowa saw how they were having such an easy time stopping that Northern Illinois offense they did not really try to do anything too much they were they were keeping things in the holster and I, Wisconsin like you said they they just smothered last week they they stuck to their basic the most basic offense they had against Western Kentucky because they don't want to show put anything on tape for bigger games in the weeks to come so there was there was really nothing to take out of either of those games other than yep Iowa's Iowa and Wisconsin's Wisconsin. Yeah, I'm sure you caught the Northwestern-Purdue game. Uh, honestly, a pretty entertaining game to kick us off last Thursday. Rondell Moore for Purdue looks like he's going to be a, a force for his entire career, however long he stays there. And uh, some interesting maneuvering at the QB situation on the other side with Clayton Thorson being switched in and out for Trent Green's son, TJ Green. Uh, what, do, what do you think that game you know, told us more about? Northwestern being likely good again this year shooting for another double-digit win season or, or Purdue looking like they're not going anywhere in year two potentially under Jeff Brom you know I it kind of confirmed some things for me I, as far as Purdue is on the Purdue side my questions about them going into the year I, I with Jeff Brom their offense is going to be fine it's just my questions with Purdue is defense because last year 
I feel like while the offense was really fun to watch, what really led to Purdue getting to a bowl game and having a season that most people weren't expecting was the fact that its defense played really well, and it lost a lot of key guys from the defense, seniors and JUCO transfers who are gone, and there are a lot of new players, and my question is going to be, can Purdue stop other teams consistently enough? And that kind of showed in the opener. As far as Northwestern is concerned, I was happy to see Thorson was back, but I was just confused by the way that they used him in TJ Green, and like Pat Fitzgerald said, hey, you know, we scored 30 what points it seemed to work just fine but my feeling is if if clayton thorson is healthy enough to play then he shouldn't be on a snap count because if if you need to put him on a snap count that he probably shouldn't be playing so i understand if maybe there's some packages of their offense because they don't want to force thorson to roll out much or use his legs this early in the season and maybe that's when they were putting in tj green but still you didn't really see that as far as the play calling and the execution so i was very confused by it but it worked, and I think that if I'm a Northwestern fan, I'm very happy to see what Jeremy Larkin gave me with 143 yards and two touchdowns because, you know, he he's stepping into some pretty big shoes he had to replace because Justin Jackson the last four years was pretty much any time Northwestern needed something or just to get out of a rut, they were giving the ball to Justin Jackson and just kind of getting on his back and letting him go four or five yards at a time to move him down the field. And defensively, Northwestern still looks as stout as ever. I know it gave up 27 points, but Rondale Moore just – kind of got loose and it's hard to prepare for that kid when you've never seen him on tape and all of a sudden he just comes out and starts doing some wonderful magical things and it's just like sometimes you get beat by a kid but I think overall I was very impressed by what Northwestern was able to do on defense and I think that based on what you've seen after one week they're probably the second best team in the division I feel like based on what we know they are the most significant threat to Wisconsin at this point all right we're going to take it back outside the Big Ten uh, and then look ahead to next week before I Get into any predictions or breakdowns for next week. I just want to ask, how would you handle, or would you have been able to handle the wrath of Nick Saban, even as close to as well as Maria Taylor did the other night? Because I, I mean, I was, I got shivers down my spine watching the clip. I probably would have just giggled. I think Maria Taylor's far more of a professional than I am the way she handled it. I probably would have just started laughing, like, well, if you would answer the question, people would stop asking you, Nick. You know? And right. And it's, you know, and all of a sudden, magically, a couple of days after the game ends, he finally says two as a starter. And guess how many times he's been asked about it since? So, I mean, it's, yeah, that was. That was Nick being Nick because it's funny, you know, they were up how many at halftime and he's still mad. It's like his team can be up 40 points at halftime, but he'll just still be like picking out the two the two blown assignments by a linebacker that led to four yard gains and feel like he has to go to the locker room and yell at somebody about it. But hey, that's that's what's made his teams great. So it's hard to fault him for it. That's what I was going to say. How can someone be that agitated after a blowout win? I think only Nick Saban and maybe a handful of other coaches, but he's just... Loosen up, Nick. Loosen up. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Alabama rolling was unsurprising. Um, and we will move on now into to week two. And we'll start nationally before we dive into the Big Ten slate. But it's kind of a light slate nationally, isn't it? I mean, we've got top 20 Stanford-USC matchup out west. And I think South Carolina snuck into the top 25, and they're, they're playing uh, Georgia. So is there any games in particular you have your eyes on uh, outside of the Big Ten coming up this weekend? I think that Georgia-South Carolina game is big because I feel like those are probably the two best teams in the SEC East, and the game is at South Carolina, and Georgia last week didn't really show anything. It was a very, very vanilla basic game you know, against an FCS team that just kind of showed up, out-talented them, and went home with the win to prepare for South Carolina, and I feel like this is a very, this is a South Carolina team that I think is getting overlooked a little bit. It's not an explosive offense, but it's an efficient offense, and it has a good defense, and I feel like 
they could pose a problem for Georgia in this game. So it's going to be interesting to see how that works because, after all, I know Georgia went to the national title game last year and won the SEC, but losing to South Carolina in Week 2 is a typical Georgia thing that has happened plenty of times over the years. So I feel like that's a game that could really shift things as far as the playoff chase is concerned right from the start. And then elsewhere, I mean, I'm interested in that Texas A&M-Clemson game simply because – This is Jimbo's first real test, but it's against an opponent he's very familiar with, obviously, from his years at Florida State and the games at Kyle Field in College Station. So Clemson's got to go on the road. And Clemson, like Alabama, although it hasn't gotten the attention, has its own kind of quarterback controversy. And unlike Alabama, it hasn't named a starter. Kelly Bryant started last week, but then Trevor Lawrence came in, and they both played really well against Furman. So there was no clear-cut winner in that. And we're going to see the same situation going on the road against Texas A&M. So it's going to be interesting. Interesting to see if Kelly Bryant's experience will play out, will win out for them over Trevor Lawrence, who's certainly talented, but just hasn't been in a situation like this. So I really want to see how he responds to that. And elsewhere, I mean, you mentioned USC Stanford. I think Stanford should win that game because USC, JT Daniels is 18. He's the youngest quarterback in the country. He looked pretty good in the opener last week, but USC's run defense struggled quite a bit against San Diego State. Or I'm sorry, UNLV. It was Stanford against San Diego State. It's just. I don't. I have more questions about USC at this point than I do Stanford, and I feel like that's a game Stanford should win. And then we talked about it already too a little bit that Michigan State, Arizona State, and then Nebraska, Colorado are pretty interesting to me as well. Yeah. Anywhere else in the Big Ten that, that you'll have your eyes on because it's kind of the mini rivalry week. You know, we got the Seahawks game with Iowa State and Iowa, uh, Pitt and Penn State, like we said, and then the non-Ivy League, Ivy school rivalry with Duke and Northwestern. Do any Big Ten games besides the one you kind of touched on there? intrigue you at all heading into the weekend? Duke Northwestern will be interesting because I think Daniel Jones, the Duke quarterback, is is really, really good. I think he's, you know, he's a guy that doesn't get much attention nationally because he plays at Duke, but I feel like he's a kid that by the time his career's over, he's going to be that He's going to be kind of like, you know, the, the guy that draft scouts are kind of hyping up is somebody that nobody talks about who could be like an early pick at the draft. He's that talented. So that's going to be fun to watch, especially for the Northwestern defense, because Duke's going to pose a threat. And then I kind of want I'm interested in Michigan, Western Michigan, simply because that Western Michigan offense looked really good against Syracuse last week. But the Syracuse defense is bad. And I just feel like this is a case where if Michigan doesn't blow out Western Michigan this weekend, then that's not a good sign because I feel like this is a team that Michigan should blow out. So that's kind of what I'm looking for this week to maybe get past some of the jitters last week with Shea Patterson, that offense to maybe give Michigan some confidence heading forward as we get closer to big 10 season starting for them. So I, I'm thinking the Wolverines will blow out the Broncos and I'm, I'm actually hoping to see it. All right. So how about uh, some individual players you're excited? I know you mentioned a couple there off the top, but just being in the big 10 and, and focusing so close in the Big Ten players, I feel like I'm not as exposed to some of the stars outside of the conference. So, you know, is it somebody that you're excited to see due to impressive performance in week one or maybe following up on a guy like Bryce Love who performed poorly in week one? Which individuals are you looking forward to seeing this weekend? I want to watch Kyler Murray again against UCLA because like I said, Oklahoma last week looked amazing, and I feel like that UCLA defense had some problems last week against Cincinnati, so I think Kyler could put up some video game numbers. Uh, I, I'm going to watch Justin. I mean, it's against Portland State, so you can't take much from it, but I'm a big fan of Oregon quarterback Justin Herbert uh, in the 
Uh, where else am I looking here? Jake Browning, I think, is going to have a better game. But again, it's against North Dakota. Like you said, you know, there's so many huge games in week one that then you get to week two and it's like everybody's playing FCS teams. and It's hard to really judge again. But other than that, I mean, I don't know if there's anybody really off the top of my head. I'd like to see Felipe Franks, Florida's quarterback. He played well last week, but Florida didn't play anybody. And even though Kentucky's not a great SEC team, it's actually got a pretty decent defense. So I'd like to see how Franks performs against a decent defense. And then other than that, I guess I'd like to see Lewerke play well against Arizona State, especially if you know if he can get some blocking from that offensive line. All right, sounds good. And, Tom, uh, I'd like to close – these football episodes with uh, something called the the big moment, the B1G moment from each week. And it's usually something that's either off the field or, you know, less pertaining to football. And I thought for this week I could go with Maryland because I think that's a season-long storyline. So I'm actually going to instead go with the outpouring of support for Illinois' Mikey Dudek. And uh, after what he suffered, what was technically his fourth season-ending injury of his career, just kind of the, the reaction there. Got a nice shout-out from Scott Van Pelt on SportsCenter. And, uh, you know, obviously it really sucks for him, but hopefully he got some satisfaction from the impression he's left despite hardly seeing the field in five years. I know you followed that program closely, and it's it's just really unfortunate. Yeah, it's it's a kick to the gut when, when I've heard the news on Duda because, yeah, he, he got plenty of attention that he deserves it because the kid works his butt off to get back on the field seemingly every year, and he's just been so snake-bitten by these injuries, the two torn ACLs, the broken ribs last year and other things that kept him out, and then whatever this knee injury turns out to be because when he showed up in 2014, he had so much potential. He caught you know over 70 passes, had over 1,000 yards on an Illinois team that wasn't exactly great, and he was the engine, and he gave Illinois fans optimism going forward, and then it's just been injury after injury after injury, and I feel like that's something significant for Illinois to deal with the rest of this year because you know the the offense kind of looked better in the second half against Kent State and their win and they kind of got going but I felt like Dudek was an engine there because he was the guy in the slot getting open down the seams and making plays to help move the offense and he's by far the most experienced receiver on that roster so it's going to be really hard for Illinois to just find somebody to step in and take his spot yep head up Mikey uh, we're rooting for you and even though he's gonna be off the field probably from here on out um all right, Tom, that's a lot of good stuff. Uh, really appreciate you jumping on today and looking forward to the rest of the season. And, and uh, it's good to have you back on. And as always, we'll continue to trust the process with you, all right? Thanks, Alex. Thanks for having me on. All right, thanks once again to Tom for joining me. Always great having him on, uh, picking his brain, obviously. Knows his stuff very well. And like I said earlier, he's a great follow on Twitter as well, at Tom Fornelli. And we'll move it along, close the episode out with the regular stat head segment like I mentioned which is being brought back this year we did it last year for basketball and football as well and it's a really fun usually 10 to 15 minutes sit down with BTN's in-house researcher Harold Shelton Harold and I uh, always have a good time and I hope you have a good time listening to it the first one of the 2018 football season here it is the stat head segment with Harold Shelton alright very excited to relaunch our famous stat head segment. I'm alongside Harold Shelton, BTN's resident stat head. H, welcome back, man. How was your summer? Uh, summer was great, um, but you know, it's football season. I'm happy to be back. Let's get it going. For sure, yeah. We got after it a little bit on the bus tour and you know, kind of got ready for the season, and we're already one week in. It's uh, hard to believe, but here we are. And since we're one week deep, um, you know, just watching the games last weekend, I don't know if it's a recency bias thing or what, but it seemed like there were a lot of unique statistical occurrences last weekend and since you're the stat head I want to know what jumped out at you because um, you know just off the top of my head we had App State 
almost upsetting Penn State 11 years to the day after they beat uh, Michigan in 2007. Uh, Kirk Ferentz set a record. Rondale Moore had a huge game. Uh, A.J. Bush for Illinois had a really impressive dual threat performance. And uh, we're going to have to talk about Jayshon Jones from Maryland a little bit here. So I want to know what jumped out off the top uh, in week one to you. Uh, for me, I think it's the performance from Rondell Moore and Jayshon Jones. It just kind of goes to show you, you know, a true freshman can come in and really make an impact. Uh, I mean, Moore had 300 yards in the first half of all-purpose, and, you know, he sets a school record for all-purpose yards. Uh, Jayshon Jones, you know, catches a touchdown pass, runs one in, throws for another one. I mean, you could just see the huge impact that those guys had. And, I mean, the fact that he was able to do all three and he was the first freshman to do it since a guy named Mariota, it's pretty good. And I was just watching that, and I couldn't find any like official confirmation, but there's no way that anyone's ever had three touchdowns on their first three plays in all different forms. Like, I, I, it can't be – like, in their yeah, first touches of their career, how could that be topped? Right. I, I don't see how you could top that. All right, so we'll, we'll say the unofficial record yeah. belongs to <laughs> Sean Jones. Um, yeah, like I mentioned, Kirk Ferentz became the winningest head coach in Iowa history, which is impressive, but, I mean, he's been there forever, so that was probably inevitable at some point. Um, but overall, I mean, just with the level of play, I, I wouldn't say it was a disaster because uh, some teams escaped with some narrow wins, but I think the weekend certainly could have gone better for the Big Ten overall. So let's start with your alma mater in one of those close calls uh, in East Lansing, Michigan State. They struggled to put away Utah State. Utah State kind of took it to them with a fast-paced attack. Why do you think they struggled, and, and uh, beyond that, do you think it carries over into a, another potentially difficult matchup on the road? I think part of it was the offensive line didn't really get the push that people thought that they would get. I know they did have a left tackle. They're starting left tackle out, so they were kind of shuffling the line and trying to find the right five combo. Uh, obviously, they had multiple issues doing that. LJ Scott couldn't really get it going. I think he only had one run over nine yards the whole game. Uh and I think the the tempo for Utah State certainly took Michigan State out of some things. Um, you know, they scored in the first two minutes and, you know, kind of had them on their heels for the rest of the first half. And then after the pick six, things got really, really interesting after that for the rest of the game. But to their credit, you know, they always <laughs> make it harder than it needs to be, especially in the openers. I mean, they've struggled with Youngstown State. They've struggled with Western Michigan a couple of times. And they've gone on to either win a division or win a Rose Bowl. So it's kind of hard to take too much from the opener. Um, but we've seen them also struggle in the opener against Furman, and they went 3-9. and nine. So it's one of those where I wouldn't take too much from it, but there were some signs of concern. Are you worried about going to Arizona State that late night game coming up Saturday? Yeah, I hate everything about it uh, as a Spartan fan. Just the, the late kick, the heat. Uh, their receiver is one of the best guys in the country, and Josiah Scott probably still out for that game, who's their best corner. Um, don't know if Cole Chewins will be back for this game. So with the fact that they're a very aggressive 3-3-5 blitzing-style defense, they'll be sending pressure from everywhere. Obviously, Lewerke got banged up pretty good last week. So it's certainly a recipe for potential disaster, but... I mean, it is a pretty veteran team at this point, so I'm hoping they can find a way. Right, you sound quite concerned. Are you as worried about Penn State's performance and how that sets up for them going to a, a huge rivalry matchup at Pitt coming up next weekend or this weekend? Uh, see, I, I would say it's similar to Michigan State in the fact that when they were both up two scores in the second half, you kind of thought that, all right, that, you know, 
was a little dicey for a while, but, you know, they're fine. And then you see them give up 28 fourth-quarter points, and they need, you know, a big kickoff return and, you know, trace magic to find ways to, to get out of there with a win. Uh, again, I think being 1-0, obviously better than 0-1. Uh, Pitt's not – I wouldn't say Pitt is, explosive, is as explosive as App State, so maybe there's some reasons there for defense to kind of get better as they go along. I mean, they lost – you know, eight starters from that unit last year. So I guess it was inevitable, inevitable for them to be some struggles uh, in that first game. Yeah, I think App State honestly really bungled into that game. They they had multiple chances to put it away. Yep. I think scoring uh, with like a minute and a half left was the worst thing they could have done. They could have probably ran the clock out and kicked a field goal. Um, but hey, Penn State escaped and, and they're moving on. And um, I still think they got a pretty good team. Uh, high expectations for Michigan, obviously, coming into this season. And they opened on the road and definitely not an ideal situation when you're rolling out a new quarterback and it was a close game seven point game but you know without a, a kickoff return maybe that score's a little more lopsided so you think Michigan's going to be okay just by what you saw the other night and do you think there is an appropriate panic level in in Ann Arbor because I know a lot of people are you know frustrated um or do you think I guess in general what's the what's the worry meter like uh surrounding the Wolverines uh, I would probably put it at a five. I mean, their defense is still really, really good. They still have four games against top 15 teams, so it's still in front of them. I mean, obviously your margin for error is pretty much gone in terms of the playoff, but in terms of getting to Indy and winning the Big Ten, it's still all there. Um, I would say the frustration, I think, is warranted. All off season, we heard about how great the offense was going to be, you know, Harbaugh has his quarterback now. They got the new strength coach, so the line will be better. And we didn't really see any of that on Saturday. Uh, That Notre Dame defense kind of pushed them around for most of the game. Uh, I mean, Patterson was pretty accurate for the most part, but, you know, he threw a pick and lost that fumble at the end. And what's crazy is there just isn't a ton of explosion at receiver. I know Tariq Black being out probably has something to do with that, but – you almost have to go back a full calendar year for the last time a Michigan wide receiver caught a touchdown pass. It's like the Kansas City Chiefs. College yeah, football. it's crazy. Yeah. Like you have to go back to week two of last year for the last time that a Michigan receiver caught a touchdown pass. Like that's unbelievable to me. Yeah, it's wild. And like you said, you know everything's in front of them. Uh, we've seen plenty of teams lose early and still be in the discussion at the end of the year. So we'll have to see how that plays out. Um, so yeah, I mean the East is a little bit of a shaky weekend, except for Ohio State, who put a seventy-seven spot. On Oregon State. Now, <clears throat> it is Oregon State, but as, as we talked about with the struggles that the other peers uh, had in the East, and I, th- I think you got to give Ohio State some credit for putting it on them, especially with the way Dwayne Haskins performed and kind of set the tone for that offense. Yeah, I think that offense is going to look completely different this year, and it'll probably be even better, which could be a scary thing because uh, they were already probably the best offense in the league last year. You know, I think they led the conference in explosive plays of 20, 30, 40, 50, and 60 yards, and now you add a guy with a Hollitzer front arm. Um, he can make throws that JT Barrett can't, and they'll probably be more of a power run team as opposed to uh, you know, a read option team like they were with Barrett. And so I think the ability for Haskins just to get the ball out to all of those weapons, I think that's going to do wonders for them. All right, so we'll keep it moving now, looking ahead to next week. Just looking at the, uh, the numbers, the matchups, and the, the packet you send out to – the staff here at BTN, which matchups do you like uh, heading into into week two? Because I know you've already mentioned a couple that you're not so crazy about. What are, what are some that you like for the Big Ten? And I know we got one Big Ten game, too, with Ohio State taking on Rutgers. So 
What jumps out at you when you look at that uh, breakdown for the upcoming weekend? It's a lot of rivalries this weekend, and I always like rivalries. I mean, we already talked about Penn State Pitt, but we get Cyhawk going again with Iowa, Iowa State. We get to see Nebraska, Colorado, who haven't played since Nebraska joined the Big Ten. So it's kind of good to have Scott Frost back. You can kind of reminisce on the times when he was at Colo- uh, at Nebraska playing against Colorado. I think 2010 is the last time they played. Uh, but both both of those games are very interesting in the fact that their opponents – well, I should say, Iowa State, their game got canceled pretty much because of rain, like midway through the first quarter, and Nebraska's still waiting on their season opener. So you have a situation where is it an, an advantage or a disadvantage that you have tape on your opponent, but you didn't get to play yourself. Right. So it would be an interesting chess match for all the coaches involved in that one. Yeah, what's Colorado look like? I mean, Nebraska obviously is kind of a unknown. I, think I definitely expect them to be better, but... Is Colorado going to give him a game, do you think, in uh, Scott Frost's true opener coming up here? Oh, yeah, I, I definitely think so. I think their offense is really, really good. Uh, they pounded Colorado State, uh, I want to say 45-13 last week. Uh, Steven Montez, you know, I think he was 22 of 25 in that game. They had a receiver go for over 200 yards in that game. And obviously last year, you know, there was all the problems with Tanner Lee throwing picks, but it was that defense that gave up a ton of points last year. And it's kind of hard to say if it's been improvement or not because we haven't seen it. And so, you know, I think that secondary will definitely get tested. All right, it'll be interesting to see. Um, And before I let you go, H, we'll wrap up. With some we'll try to keep pretty consistent here as we go week to week, but it's going to be just kind of picking your brain for any landmark stats that are on the precipice of being broken coming up. Obviously, I had a bunch last weekend, like we said at the top. So, what, what should we look out for this weekend that could potentially, within the Big Ten, uh, be a notable or landmark breakthrough stat? Uh, I'd say, you know, we got to look at Northwestern. I mean, it's still kind of flying under the radar. I mean, ninth win in a row came last week against Purdue, found a way to win another close game. Uh, playing Duke this week, a team that absolutely pounded them a year ago. But if they find a way to get another win, that'd be their tenth straight, which would set the school record, uh, and maybe that would be enough to get them in the top twenty-five for next week. Yeah. One final point, I was going to ask: Why does Northwestern get such limited love, kind of in the national picture? Because you put that resume up pretty much in any of their Power Five conference or school, even they're probably sitting in the top twenty-five. Why do you think that is? Uh, I think it's uh, a lot of brands. You know, there are certain brands that get the benefit of the doubt more than others. I think Texas is one of those, as we've seen. Like, they were 7-6 and six last year and wound up being ranked 23rd. South Carolina's playing Georgia this week, and they're 24 now. Yep. Funny how that works. Yeah, so I think a lot of it is branding. I mean, Northwestern is just not a team that goes out and, you know, brands themselves. I think people look at them as like, oh, they're, you know, they're a nice story. Oh, they're a good football team, but no one fully respects them the way that they should. They got some dudes out there. I mean – Patty Fisher, that defense is really, really good. And, you know, that a lot of that front seven is back. But for whatever reason, they still couldn't get the love, even with the four-year starter back at quarterback. All right, a lot of good stuff, H. Uh, excited to keep it moving and glad to be back. Chopping up with you here in the studio. Yeah, always, always enjoy being on. Thanks for having me. All right, one more time, thanks to Tom and Harold for joining me. Really good discussion. Um... You know, this always flies by because there's so much to talk about, both in the Big Ten and nationally. And I hope you enjoyed listening to it. And uh, we'll keep them coming with the good guests and with Harold Shelton doing the Sad Head segment. So stay tuned. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to one of my producers, Julie Bronder, who's producing the show, as well. Wes White, the 
OG producer is on paternity leave, so congrats once again to Wes. And another shout out to another assistant producer, Colleen Degnan, who's helping me out as we go forward here on the Take 10 podcast um, with some other duties as well. So thank you, Julie and Colleen, and thank you to everyone for listening. Like I said, follow along. It's going to be a lot of fun as we move along here in the 2018 season. And until then, we'll talk to you next time here on the Take 10 podcast.